I'm Abraxas and I'm hosting a weekly Clubhouse series with luxury Swiss watch brand IWC. Each week, we host a conversation with unique creatives who have formed their own path in life and career in their own way. Today, I'm here with James Andrews, who's embedded himself in culture spanning from time within the music industry to now evolving into the world of the metaverse, startups, and his amazing business, Authenticated. All thoughts and opinions are of those speaking and do not necessarily deflect IWCs. Now, let's get into it. James, it is a pleasure to have you with us in the room and it is great to start this six-part series with the amazing IWC. If you're unfamiliar with IWC, they are a luxury watch brand who have decided to partner with me and bring amazing conversations to Clubhouse. This series is called Creator's Time and we are truly excited to get it underway. So, James, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Kind of living my best life as one should every day, right? You do a number of things. It's it's weird to kind of describe you in one thing. So I want, I'm going to give you the challenge of, can you describe yourself in three words? So hard to diminish my life in three words. I'm a community builder, hands down. I definitely see the future. You know, I see around corners. I've, I've been doing that my whole career. So prognosticator, maybe. And you know, then just, you know, investor, investor of capital, relationships, time into things that I think are, you know, going to make the, the world a better place and that are creative in nature. Yeah. I would say those are, I, I also love that you, I love that you're struggling to define me because I tend to only get along with people whose mothers don't know what they do for a living, <laughs> which is, 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 is my mom. So I love that my mom has no idea what I do for a living. And I tend to only like really get along with people whose moms kind of. <laughs> we love to hear it. We love to hear it. So James, talk to us. Where does your love for music start? And can you explain a little just about what you've been doing, how you ended up in the music industry? Just let people know what it is you did in the music industry and how you ended up there. Mm, great. So fitting because I'm in Beverly Hills and I'm actually around the corner from a really important house in Beverly Hills that uh, kind of was my start. But I'll, but I'll take you back to the Bay Area, which is where I grew up. Um, I grew up, you know, loving hip hop, loving, you know, my making tapes, break dancing. I was a, or, you know, I wasn't a very good break dancer, but uh, I certainly was, was, was trying to battle on Pier 39 in San Francisco, um, usually getting destroyed. You know, I, I, I Something about being able to, you know, open your parents, um, you know, vinyl collection and go through, you know, the liner notes and the artwork and really, you know, drew me into, you know, not just the music, but the entire story uh, of the artists. I didn't really have, you know, any connections in the business until high school. And I grew up in the Bay Area, which is, you know, not the same thing as Los Angeles uh, in many ways, very different than Los Angeles. And uh, went to high school and uh, a friend of mine went to a boarding school and came back and uh, she was like, I met this guy, you should know him. And um, he ends up coming to, to a party I was throwing at my house. Uh, I spent a lot of time in high school throwing parties. And um, he turns out he was the, the son of Dion Warwick. And uh, wow, all right. he invited, yeah. <laughs> So in high school, he invited me to come to Beverly Hills and, you know, hang out with him. And, and it was sort of there that I caught 
the bug per se. I was always a music fan, but through Miss Dion, who would ultimately become like a second mother to me, I was exposed to, you know, um, Sammy Davis Jr., Patti LaBelle. I mean, all these amazing stars. It's actually why it's so ironic that I'm sitting here in Beverly Hills, literally around the corner from that same house on Sunset now that I used to hang out at. And, you know, I had a sort of troubled high school career and ended up going to a couple of junior colleges, finally got my act together and got my grades up and, and got accepted to UCLA and, and Berkeley and Irvine. And after spending time at their house, you know, their, their cousin is Whitney Houston. And so, you know, I was, after kind of being exposed to like this celebrity world, I was like, oh, I want to work in the music business. And I thought the only way to do that from a you know to to do the business side was to become an attorney, so I went to UCLA thinking I was going to become an entertainment attorney, and I um you know was doing my classes. I was a history major, and I worked in an entertainment law firm, and you know you know and but I ended up uh, getting an internship at Columbia Records, which would radically change my life, and I literally worked a full you know, worked this job at, at the at the law firm, and I would like tell them I was going to the bathroom, and I would run across to the internship. And I, you know, at the time as an intern, I was calling college radio stations and worked for an incredible leader named Demet Guidry, who was a, you know, a, a veteran radio promotion guy. So I learned about how to convince, you know, uh, radio music directors and, and program directors to actually play records. At the time we had the Def Jam catalog. So a lot of my time was like calling college radio and having them convincing them they should play, you know, Nice and Smooth and, and, and Public Enemy and LL Cool J and Beastie Boys. And uh, yeah, I did that while going to college. So, uh, you know, I ended up, you know, meeting people like Jermaine Dupree and he had, you know, he had a crisscross at the time and a bunch of other folks. And just, you know, recognize then that I probably didn't want to go into law and I, I probably was better served working in the beginnings of this new, this new, <laughs> this new exciting genre, really, uh, hip hop. And I, I sort of come into hip hop like when it moves from like college radio and what we call mixed show radio into more of the mainstream. And that's probably like the, the early nineties. So, you know, one part of my, my entry was just the passion I had, but the other part was just timing, you know, the timing of, where, where black music was and where hip hop was just it served me well. And that is exactly what I wanted you to talk about. <laughs> We're talking about creators time and a lot of what we want to talk about here is timing. Going back to you breaking into the music industry, figuring out that it's not I don't quite want to be a lawyer, but I do, I do like entertaining. I do like being around parties and you're kind of having this, this wake up call that says, okay, I want to be around this, but not in that capacity. But you just alluded to it yourself. A lot of it was to do with time. So with that being said, looking at the music industry now, what do you think is kind of pivotal? What do you think is going to shape it? Do you believe it's going to be the metaverse? Do you think it's going to be NFTs? Would it be a mix of both? As somebody who's on the forefront now of music, technology, and community, in my humble opinion, where do you think we're going? Well, I, I love timing and, and shout out to IWC for coming on to Clubhouse. I think your timing is perfect. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, you know, it is really. I think it's uh, it's 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 it, the 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 opportunity for a brand to kind of look at the social audio space is 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 incredible, and the timing is now. We're big believers in my company in timing. It's it's funny that you would you would you would be talking about timing. The Greeks used to measure time two ways. One is chronos, which is where we get the word chronology. The other is kairos, which is a spiritual timing. It's a season, if you would. And actually, in in our community, we're actually you know we're going to be studying time. And timing, I, I do think it's a it's a, an important 
part. You can look back on your career. I can look back on my career and, and reflect on those Kairos moments, right? 95 was a Kairos moment for hip hop. Another Kairos moment was, I would say like 98, 99, 2000 when Napster um, happens. And at that point, I became an executive at Columbia Records. I worked on Fuji's and Nas and Lauryn Hill, and, you know, and uh, Destiny's Child. And um, part of my passion was also to make sure that black artists understood this transition into, into, the, into Web 1.0. And so I became a bit of a John the Baptist, educating my artists on what was happening, because I could see what, what was coming. I grew up in Palo Alto. I went to high school in Silicon Valley, went to high school across from Stanford. Most of my friends by then were, you know, becoming dot-com millionaires, I guess. So I, I certainly, like, had a perspective of technology. Uh, I was writing code in eighth grade. I had a Commodore VIC-20, and everybody in my high school, like, kind of understood code. Um, when you grew up in Palo Alto, it's, you know, sort of all around you. Look at Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers book, right? He talks a lot about timing, you know, and being in the right space at the right time. And so I am very much a Gladwell, in Gladwell-esque format, I, I am a big fan of, of timing. So Web 1.0, you know, for me, I worked for Sony Music, you know, and, and I always felt like I was a bit of an outcast um, when I was running down the halls talking about this thing called the internet. And most people were like, just focus on airplay and, you know, radio play and, um, you know, making sure that our artists had the right brand and image. But what, what I was really excited about was the, the disruption of the relationship between fan um, and artists and um, a new role that I thought record labels should and could play. I felt like in many ways we were like a venture capital firm investing in creators. Those creators just happened to be called Nas and, you know, Lauren Hill and Destiny's Child. But I always felt like the paradigm and the framework in which record labels and fan and artists need to change. And I knew that technology would be a catalyst towards that. And I think that that's where we are today, just to kind of go to Web3. Where we are today is the relationship between creator and audience is it has changed. Therefore, you know, the, the dependence on a record label or the need for a record label ha has shifted. And so now it's going to put, you know, record labels, artist managers, you know, CAA, William Morris, Everybody sort of is in a, is going to have to play a new position and have to assume a new role. And so, you know, what I always was bothered by was the fact that, um, you know, when we were putting on a Mariah Carey record, we had to wind up the big ass machine known as Sony Music to find the Mariah Carey, Mariah Carey fan again. Right. And I was always like, we should do a better job of ownership over your eyeballs. My second career was actually building a social media agency. Uh, so in, in Web 2.0 in 20, 2010, I built a social media agency. My first client was Jane Fonda. And I remember sitting with Jane and saying to her, you know, the problem with you, Jane, is you're a victim of these machines, is, is you are trained as an artisan, as a creator, to think that you are only relevant because you have a record out or a book out. And I spent most of my time with Jane kind of, you know, re-educating 70-year-old 70, 70 Jane Fonda on a new relationship with her, with her audience. But, but yeah, I just feel like, you know, what we're really talking about is, is, is a new relationship between artisan, creator, and their fans. And, 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 and also a new opportunity for, you know, funders like record labels and so forth to, to think about it differently. But what's really exciting about blockchain and I think with tokenization and with all this kind of stuff is you actually can partner with your, your, your fans as investors. And, and allow them to take the journey with you. That is incredible. I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think we're in a big stage of disruption. The same way Napster came in and disrupted the music industry in its entirety, I think Web 3.0 
the metaverse NFTs is really going to give the power back to the artist. Long overdue in my humble opinion. We've kind of spoken about your predictions on the industry. We've spoken about you starting in the music industry, thinking that you wanted to be a lawyer and kind of having this, you know, this eureka moment where you're like, well, no, not really. I actually just kind of want to be in the space and do other things. So where you are right now is you are advising, you are creating, you are part of this thing we're calling the creator economy. Do you have any words of advice for anybody who's listening to this room, in this room right now and is thinking, well, you know, I would love to be a part of the creator economy. Firstly, could you explain what it is and explain, you know, how would somebody, you know, get their teeth stuck into being a part of this new economy that will be worth hundreds of billions, I would imagine, by the end of next year? Yeah. Well, you know, I had the great privilege when I owned an, an agency to work on Nike. And um, there's a quote that the famed coach, that, that Bowerman, that coached uh, at University of Oregon, the track track program, which launches Nike as a shoe, the waffle shoe and so forth. There's a quote that says um, that he had, which is, if you have a body, you're an athlete. And a lot of the way we've been thinking about the creator economy and, and what we've done is sort of flip that quote on its head to say, if you have an imagination, you're a creator. So, so the, the entry, the, the, the entry token to, to become a creator is kind of, you know, uh, your imagination. Um, because we believe that the, the creator economy is the future of work. It's, it's more akin to creatorpreneurs. And so it's bigger than just what maybe what people assumed, um, uh, or may assume who creators are. For us, we look at the creator economy through this new tapestry of, you know, uh, a, an orthodontist who is thinking about his relationship to his patients differently and ways of which educating, you know, his patients or future patients or patients around the world about his craft or his, you know, what he, what he has a, you know, what he has a master's in. Um, and so if you believe all that, right, hopefully you believe all that and you're listening to me, like everybody in this room has a, uh, has the potential to participate in the creator economy. Um, just as every company will be a tech company, if we believe that, which is an, another, you know, thought, right? Every, everybody probably who's building a business uses the internet for, um, transaction, for, you know, um, for, for building a marketplace, for, for whatever the actions are. And so if you believe all that, then you wouldn't build this business on um, Web 2. You're going to be building it on Web 3, which which we believe, you know, is sort of indicative of things like um, blockchain technology, which which will power Web 3, um, the metaverse, which is certainly part of, you know, the Web 3 economy. Um, all of it on a, on a much larger scale is really part of the fourth industrial revolution, um, which is happening right before our eyes. Um, and the creator economy is one one frontier uh, part of, of, you know, the fourth industrial revolution. And, and so these changes are happening really fast. I think for anybody who's in the room, you know, it's probably like a realignment of your time, your talents, your treasure, the way that you kind of think about um, your time. I actually, uh, you know, one of the things that the pandemic kind of did for me was help me reassess time, help me even re reassess like the way that I, you know, fund, you know, I'm, I'm an investor as well. So the way that we invest in businesses or start businesses and the way that we think about the future of work is like how much of somebody's time, you know, do you need, um, you know, how do you encourage folks to have passion and have interests? And, and, and even like in the agency world where, where my business partner owns an agency, you know, what if you only, you know, bought 
X amount of um, an employee's time, and that and that you know that person was was free to go do other things, and and what would that do for like the advertising agency business? Because essentially, what you're selling when you work in the agency business is is you know access to talent and people's time. So I think for anybody who's out there thinking about the creator economy, it's 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 probably like a control alt delete moment, right? It's a it's a way to completely reassess equity, you know, how you're building your business and who your investors are. Um, certainly Web3 and the blockchain and tokenization it challenges sort of these ideas of like how to get a company funded. Um, in the United States, um, not only do we have Web3 as a disruption, but we have, you know, recent securities uh, capital p- policies, which allow us to um, take in um, capital from what are called unaccredited investors. That's a massive change in, in policy. What was once $1 million in unaccredited investor capital has uh, now become $5 million. But yeah, I think I think for anybody who's in the creator space, which, which again, is someone who has imagination, it's how do you reimagine your relationship to marketplaces? How do you reimagine, re- reimagine your, your relationship to customers, members, subscribers, homies, whatever you call the people who follow your flock? How do you reimagine that relationship? Uh, no, I like that. A lot of advice. And I quite like the framework that you're, you're talking about, this idea of essentially decentralization, right? And how that's going to play a humongous part in everything we're doing. So before we start bringing up <laughs> some people from the audience, uh, some of your old friends, some great thinkers, some thought leaders to vibe out with us on stage, I have some quick fire questions for you. So you're not allowed to give an answer over 10 seconds. You've got to pick one or the other. You ready? Yep. Let's go. Tupac or Biggie? <laughs> Tupac. Ooh, I need I need a why. Because I'm from the West Coast and Tupac is connected to my lineage and my family was part of the Black Panther Party and enough said. <laughs> All right. Prince or Michael Jackson? Damn. Um, take your time take your time i'm a musician's musician i mean i'm really like a big fan of musicianship and and as 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 much as it pains me i would say prince oh and finally and finally and finally quick question really quick one quick answer from you if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self right your younger self is like all right i want to be this lawyer i want to do all these things do you tell him to stick on that path of being a lawyer or do you tell him to switch it up earlier? I tell him to stay curious. Always be curious. Curiosity is the thin line between my entire career. You know, it's what connects. I mean, I think the pursuit of being a lawyer, it, it, the process is just as important as the pursuit when I wanted to open a business in Dubai and I learned everything about the Middle East and never opened a business in Dubai, but could, you know, yalla be with the best of them. all right that is what i like to hear so james just before we start bringing these other people up i just want to say listen thank you um i see you we all see you we all hear you and you truly are a visionary if i ever want to know what's going on in the creator economy i kind of shift towards your room shift towards your instagram shift towards the authenticated platform and just have a look and a browse around Uh, in my humble opinion you are on the precipice of everything that is happening um you're a few steps ahead it doesn't quite make sense to everybody but um as i said you really are uh, living in the future man so uh shouts out to you thank you for letting me come back to 2021 to hang out with you (laughs) no problem at all anytime you want with that, let's get some people from the audience up on stage. Uh, we're going to hang out. Um, they're going to have some questions for you as well. 
And we're just going to vibe out. We're going to vibe out for the next 30 minutes and really, really, really dig into what it is you do, how you do it. And maybe, you know, you can share some tips of us on what the future of this 3.0 web shares. All right. So first up, it wouldn't be a room without the infamous Erica. James, when did you know uh, music was going to be the, maybe not the center of your life, but a large part of what your life would be about. Yeah, well, good to see you, Erica. Thank, thank you for always supporting all the things we do. I think music for me, man, when I think about like KMEL, KSOL, KFRC, these are all radio stations in the Bay Area that impacted me. College radio was such an important part of my, my upbringing. You know, KZSU, which was Stanford's college radio station. Shout out to Kevy Kev Cool Breeze, uh, who was a, a Stanford student from the Bronx who came to Stanford. And, and you know, like, I feel like um, I was an early, early radio listener, you know, and I, I loved the disc jockeys uh, of the past. Um, and yeah, I think I knew, you know, early that, that music was important to me. I was someone who used to make tapes and so forth. It wasn't until I like met famous people, which, you know, uh, was sort of like a, you know, a crazy sort of serendipitous thing that, that, I, that I recognized that there's actually a career, there's like a business in it. I didn't really think about the business of it until, um, I met Dionne Warwick and her family and, you know, went, my first tour was Whitney Houston. So like being, you know, backstage of a concert and like, and, and also like seeing like somebody creative, like, like the crowd, like being in the studio, like making a song. Like, I think for me, when I, when I, when I was able to watch the process of making a song, I just got really inspired. I don't, I don't sing. I don't have a creative talent per se, um, just DJing. But I think I love, um, I love standing behind people who have creative visions. Um, and I think that's when I realized that like the record business would be a great first place to start my career. And then working at, at, you know, I dropped out of my last year at UCLA. Working at Sony was like my Harvard business school. Like, really, legit was like, you know, I learned so much about entrepreneurship and everything there. Dope question, Erica, and brilliant answer, James. James, off the back of that, I have a quick question I'm going to throw your way. You've kind of spoken about this, and it almost seems whimsical. Like, you know, you just, yeah, you know, I did some law, you know, I was at some parties, I did this, I did that. Can you pinpoint a struggle? Because it's not easy. For people to, there are people that stay in one job their entire life. Now, there is nothing wrong with that. They've maybe found their ism and found what they like to do. But my question is, do you have any struggles? Or was there any struggles? Was it was it as easy <laughs> to transition from? I know you said you've always been in tech and you've always been interested, but has it been easy? Oh, I mean, struggle is the white noise in the background. You know, I mean, uh, and, and, and apologies to anybody who assumed that my story is, is certainly easy. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, barely graduated from high school, um, went to a junior college, you know, got my grades up, you know, was able to get into UCLA and Berkeley and a bunch of schools, you know, dropped out of UCLA to, to kind of make the leap into the record business. There was no record business in 1990 two that you could pinpoint. So I, I interned and my first job, I think I made $12,000 a year working for a small record label on Melrose. E each of the jumps were certainly a struggle. I would say the biggest, probably the biggest struggle, I guess, is when um, I worked for a dot-com in 98 and I raised $40 million, three rounds of funding, 
We were the talk of New York City. All my music industry friends are like, what are you doing working at .com? You can work at a record label. And I was like, no, I'm pursuing this thing. And, um, you know, I really went after it. I, I built this email newsletter that I sold to this .com. And we raised a bunch of money and then we lost a bunch of money. And honestly, I moved to Atlanta um, and I had no, I had no money. I, I blew, blown through all my money. Uh, I actually took a job at Crunch. Hold on, James, Crunch Gym? Yeah, yeah. Grab, I, I, shit, I, I do a whole show on struggles. I mean, we, we can make this whole thing about struggles. But anyway, you asked for one struggle. So I'll just finish the story. So I ended up, um, I ended up like I'd made, you know, I mean, just I've made $200,000 a year, like from 25 to like, you know, 30, whatever. And then I moved to Atlanta for lots of personal reasons. And I wanted to start over and I wanted to work in advertising. And so I didn't have advertising experience. I didn't, I've never, I'd never worked at a, an agency per se. Um, and I was known as a music industry guy, right? And, um, I lived in Atlanta. And so, you know, I was just trying to feed my family and, uh, I took a job at Crunch and, and, you know, very humbling to run into like, you know, Jermaine Dupree's assistant. Like, what are you, James Andrews? What are you doing working at Crunch? And, uh, I spent three months at Crunch. Um, and, uh, you know, it's amazing. You know, I actually learned so much about sales because I had never really, been a salesperson per se. Um, and I, you know, I was working and, and the guys I was working with were like, when I told them what I used to do, they were like, what, like, what are you doing working here? And I'm like, man, I'm learning from you. Like I'm learning like Zig Ziglar like, sales <laughs> techniques, you know? And, um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely a struggle, you know, and I ended up getting a job at, a, at an advertising agency and, and then I kind of begot my career in advertising and that was the second part of my life. But yeah, no, it's, it's all struggles. I mean, some of my struggles are well documented. You know, I, I have a son with some mental health challenges today. Um, yeah, it's, it's all struggle guys. I mean, you know, I'm doing everything amidst, you know, uh, challenging times, just like everyone else is. Yeah, I love that. I love that James. And thanks for your, thanks for being so authentic with us, uh, and, and talking about it, but we have Shayon off on stage with us. What questions do you have for James? Nice to meet you, James, for the one millionth time. And my question is, what are your top three albums that define you as a person? Wow. Nice question. <laughs> here we go, James. I'm taking notes here and we'll be judging accordingly. Damn. Oh, God. I wasn't prepared for this one. Ah. Uh, you know, as you know, I'm such a music lover. I love so much music, but the, but let me make sure that I, uh, nice to meet, nice to meet you, Shan. Um, the top three albums that define me. I think that, I, I, I think, um, I, I don't know which album it was in particular. It's probably, um, That's the Way of the World, Earth, Wind and Fire, uh, because that's when I really recognize the power of music and spirituality um, and art. It, 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 you know, Earth, Wind and Fire album covers were, you know, pre, pre-internet. I mean, I spent a lot of time looking at album art and album, album liner notes and Earth, Wind and Fire certainly defined being proud to be black, uh, my connection to, to Africa, uh, spirituality, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire was a, almost came out of the gospel gospel tradition um and, and that album really was the first to like help me kind of connect all those dots huh the second one would be probably nwa just because you know uh so much of my you know adolescence uh as a black young man growing up in california was affected by just this angst and this passion that that, that you know 
that, that I had, but also ducking and diving from LAPD and Oakland PD and, you know, not because I was doing anything criminal, but just being, you know, a target, uh, many, many times, you know, was pulled over. Just, just what, what it felt like to be in 1980s and 90s, um, to be black in, in, in America. And I think NWA's album kind of, you know, represented all, a lot of the feelings that a lot of my friends had. Um, this is tough three albums because there's so many albums that were released in the 90s that also represented me. But that, I guess that's the one that just stuck out. Huh. And the third, I guess, as a wild card, man, um, it's going to be a random one, but um, New Eureka Soul, Masters at Work. It's a really beautiful uh, uh, piece of work. Uh, at the time, I managed, I managed DJ Jazzy Jeff, who actually worked on the album. And it was the first time that I that I really appreciated house music in in a way that I hadn't growing up on the West Coast, and the live instrumentation, the kungas, the um, the, the 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 Latin like sort of you know the diaspora that that includes our Latin brothers. Really, I didn't really understand that until I moved to New York City and you know was able to connect with Dominicans and Puerto Ricans. And that album to me is just an incredible body of work by masters at work and it, and it gave me a new appreciation for um for for the for the diaspora um and for soul music on, on a whole different level and it really helped me open my eyes to what i thought house music was but then begin to appreciate on a much larger scale three really good albums um didn't know that you managed dj jazzy jeff for a while as well um James, you do too much. Do you, <laughs> you do too much? You've you really have done a lot in in an incredibly short amount of time. When you really look at the, the, the you know the amount of years you've been, I wouldn't even call it working. The amount of days you've been living. Um, Immigrant hustle, bro. Immigrant hustle. Hey, I love to hear it. <laughs> We've got two more people on stage, Brian and Hope. So, Brian. Um, I know you've been on the app for a while. Do you have any questions to James Andrews? And please make sure they're difficult. I like it when James has to struggle and pick between artists that he loves. <laughs> so, Brian, please uh, throw James a question if you could. Yes, sir. James, my question for you, simply put, out of everything in your life that you've experienced, ups and downs, can, can you describe when, where, how that moment in your life where it hit you when you knew what your purpose was? You know, it's kind of weird. I don't know. It's going to sound kind of like weird, but I have a tree that I that I, cl- I used to climb when I was uh, when I was younger, and I'm often going back and um, reflecting. I, I, I sometimes go back to that actual tree. It's in a a place called Alameda, California, and um, in many ways, I think that I kind of like like thoughts become things. I I, I kind of envisioned like this a bit of this life in terms of like like a little bit of how it would play out. So like the things that would happen and the fact that my gift of gab or, you know, my sort of curiosity or, you know, my ethnic ambiguity or my mix of different cultures that I, that I have in my DNA would lend itself into something interesting. So that part I kind of knew, I guess the part about purpose, again, reflecting back on Kairos is, is like looking back on those seasons in time and starting to look at, starting to pattern match like what was it about those about those seasons and i'm constantly reflecting and looking back on my chirotic moments and looking for patterns um so i don't know if there was necessarily one moment but i'm but i'm often looking for you know what was the theme of that season 
And, you know, is it in alignment with, you know, this sort of bigger vision that God has given me, right? Like, I, I know there's a big vision I've been given. I've been given this vision when I was like 9, 10, 11, 12. I, you know, I, I could see it clearly. I could taste it. Like, I kind of knew that these kinds of things would happen for me. And it's more of like um, Lego blocks than it is like one like 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 moment where like I get struck by lightning. It's more of like I can see the Lego blocks connecting to a to to to, to the fulfillment of 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 a grander you know prophecy. I always say sometimes like I'm in situations like I cannot make this shit up. Like I cannot you know and and my life is a series of I can't make this shit up moments. And I often look back on those moments and see you know, kind of this unfolding of a vision that probably was given to me, you know, when I was when I was very young. We're going to move on to hope and then solar. And then I'm going to close out with a pretty interesting question for you, because I'm definitely noticing an underlying theme in the things you're saying here. Um, so hope, over to you. Do you have a question for James you'd like to throw his way? So, hey, James, my question for you, since you've created such a unique path for yourself would be, you know, what would you predict is a job that you know, we don't see in the music industry currently, but could potentially be something that I might be preparing for kids or teachers might be preparing kids to do that doesn't even exist. What what could that job be? What do you predict that could be? Oh, thank you, Hope. Glad you asked that question too. Uh, and one, just, you know, thank you for the work that you do in education. It is by far one of the most important things that, um, you know, that we need, we need to support those who are in and around education. I serve um, on the board here in, in Los Angeles. Um, I'm on the, uh, the board of the largest charter school network here. We serve 15,000 kids in black and brown communities from Pacoima to, to Watts. Um, so education, actually, you've asked a, a great question for me because education is actually um, uh, super important to me. It's something that I'm quietly working on in the background. And funny that you would actually ask this particular question because I started a uh, like a masterclass program at UCLA, my alma mater. Um, it was, it was, it's called the business of esports and streaming. And my, my idea was to build a pipeline between Westwood and Watts. And because I believe actually esports and, and streaming is sort of the gateway to STEM education. And so from that, I actually posed a question to the UCLA folks that I work with, which is, um, let's create job title, you know, let's focus on job titles of the future and job titles that don't exist. So I think about this question a lot. Um, I'd like to broaden it a little more than just music. Uh, you know, while while I, I love music, it's great. I DJ. I don't I don't particularly work in the music industry today, but so I'm going to expand it more to the creator economy. And I think that in, in you know, and I'm a big proponent of allowing this generation to to approach things like gaming. And and I talked to you know parents. I talked to my brother the other day because my 12 year old nephew runs his own Discord server. He's on three different Discord servers. And I was like, this is perfect. You know, I said, because, you know, Roman, his name is Roman. Roman is being groomed and set up for upskilling in a way that you can't even imagine. And um, I think that, you know, there's going to be a myriad of job titles and jobs that, that um, don't exist now that will, will begin to exist. I'll give you one example, actually. Um, what used to be the social media community manager, it was like a big trend in 2009, I believe is now shifting into almost what I, what I'm calling like a, like a Dow den mother, I guess. We just helped somebody get a job today, actually. She got hired today, as a matter of fact. And she was a social media community manager, went to Berkeley School of Music, and was running, you know, a Discord server for, for us and authenticated and, um, I, I love her new positioning. I don't know what her title is going to be per se, 
but she's essentially going to be managing a, a Discord server and a community. Why is that important? You know, Discord it runs on, on open source. And so the ability not just to like, you know, throw blog posts up or throw content, but the ability to actually program programmatically drive a community is going to be an important part of Web3. And so back to our babies that are in these schools, like they're operating in, in you know, whether you're a gamer, whether you're in, you know, Fortnite or Roblox or, or you're just an Oakland Raider fan, you know, they, you know, this next generation, they're living in communities. They are mobile first and there's going to be a transition to appreciate support uh, those kinds of um, activities in a way that we haven't seen. Even like gaming itself, Fortnite, like why I love esports is not because I want the kids to automatically become esports stars, but um, there's a lot of programming language um, built into into gaming. And so I think gaming just becomes a great Trojan horse to, to, to go and, and to teach kids about a myriad of skills. You know, in, in an esports stream alone, there's a production team, there's an analytics team, there's data, there's insights, there's, um, you know, there's all kinds of skill sets that come out of one particular thing that lots of kids tend to like, which is gaming. But I could go down the list. I, you know, we're, I built a program within Authenticated of identifying five 18 to 24 year olds with one prerequisite that they started a business between 14 and 18. I spent some time in Israel and there's a unit called the unit A200. Um, everybody, of course, serves in, in military in, in, in Israel. And if you serve in unit A200, you're in the cybersecurity unit, which is, you know, if you think, look at Israel uh, and, and how powerful they are in technology, it's a very powerful unit to serve in. Well, what's fascinating, Hope, is that they identify these kids uh, by 12, 13, 14. They know at 12 years old, that this person is going to be unit A200 ready. And I thought about it in America. We take uh, black kids who are 6'4", 6'6", and dunk on people, or 6'2", and catch touchdowns, and we put them in their, in their own kind of um, track, and we, we send them on a pipeline to schools like Michigan and UCLA to play sports. But, like, if we could start identifying kids who have curiosity, who are playing in Web3, you know, we could start to build our own kind of, you know, AAU of like, you know, technology, Web3, you know, sort of creator economy futurists. So that's what we're, we're playing around with uh, for next year. I started, I've been mentoring a few, you know, 18 to 24 year olds. I think they're fascinating, that age group. Obviously, you can see this is like a passion area of mine. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that I asked that question. Um, yeah, my mouth is open. I have so many more questions, but moving on to Solar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last but not least, you've got the amazing Solar. Solar. Oh man, I don't know where to begin, but Solar is an incredible force. Uh, Solar, what question do you have for James? I feel like James, your answers have been so rich, making infinite references. I feel like I've been in this like, like the internet of you just referring back to your past. And I'm just experiencing you in such a grounded way that's just synthesizing so much information and so many avenues of like careers and humans and communities. And it feels really effortless and grounded. And so my question is like, were you always that way? Or was there a point where it settled in? Or was it just the byproduct of experience or just wherever you want to take that question? Oh, thank you. Re yeah, really nice to, to hear from you, Solar. And I want to answer that question in sort of back to Kairos, right? Like, um, you know, in a weird sort of way, I, I got really good at taking really difficult periods of time and, and going into deep reflection. And, and I, I can, I can now describe it now as like surrender and acceptance. And, 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 and I think I grew from those moments of surrender and acceptance. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, there's there's a few. My friend, gosh, I can think back to so many. My friend Rob Cartosian, you know, God bless his soul, died of a car accident. Um, you know, uh, in high school, he crashed his car drinking and driving. Um, I remember that profound effect. Um, I remember losing my grandmother. Um, a lot of like death actually um, causes me to like reflect on my own mortality. I've had a couple of suicides that have been pretty traumatic uh, in and around me. A young man that I mentored in the music business uh, took his life. Uh, His name was Shakir Stewart. That was certainly a moment uh, when, you know, was was able to to look and reflect. And and, and all these moments, um, in in particular, I'll just fast forward to the the pandemic, you know, really caused me to go into a deep self-reflection, into deep, uh, deeper meditation practice, uh, deeper, you know, um, my own personal practices. And I, I think surrender and acceptance has been sort of the theme that I can, you know, bind it all up is, is, um, I really, uh, have, I've fallen in love with surrender and acceptance in this, in this interesting way. And so people are always like, I don't really know what you do for a living. You know, like I accepted that, like, you may not know what I do for a living and I don't really care. Like, I, you know what I mean, like, I don't really, I don't really like try to define myself to make, you know, anybody on the stage comfortable with you being able to describe what I do. Um, if you don't understand what I do for a living, that's fine. I, I find that society likes to put you in a doctor or a banker or a lawyer or, you know, insurance salesman or whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm in love with this fluidity of, um, of things. Uh, it's the same way I felt about my, my ethnicity, right? Like people are like, I don't know where are you from and what's your background? And, you know, I've had to live with that, right? Like I've had to live in the skin of like, you know, explaining myself to, to people. And so I think what, what you, yeah, you are catching, I'm 51 years old. You are catching me at a, at a, I guess a period in time where like, you know, I worked with Jane Fonda and I remember just the, the freedom that Jane had to just say whatever the hell's on her, on her mind. And um, I feel like I'm, you know, like, like the older generation, like I'm kind of at a place in my life where like, I know what I've done. I know the contributions I've made to, to culture, to the industries I've worked in. And I'm quite happy with that. I, I don't, um, I don't necessarily like live for the, the, you know, the, I remember one time I, um, when you work in the music industry, you get these like platinum and gold and triple platinum plaques, right? And they were just obnoxious in my house and no one in my house wanted these plaques up. So I was like working in the advertising industry and I had a car and I had all these plaques, Fuji's, Destiny's Child in the back of my car and someone stole my car. And like, I was like, oh man, they stole all my plaques. And so someone's running around today in Atlanta with a James Andrews Fuji's plaque. And I remember the freedom of like, sort of like releasing all of those like things, you know, that, that people are, de- are defined by those those symbols that people are defined by. And I think a lot of what I do also is just like, I, I don't really look back on those things. I don't, you know, I was in the Wall Street Journal, you know, in 2000, like I don't even, I, I have to remind myself that those things happen. So I do live life through this like fluidity and just, you know, appreciating the moment I'm in now, appreciating the diversity that I am, appreciating the fact that <clears throat> I, it's okay that you don't know what I do for a living or where I'm from and just, you know, making that sort of surprise and delight for you. And so same thing for you, Solar. You might, and someone here on the platform might think I'm a DJ. That's great. They might think that's the only thing I do. Uh, I DJ the other night. Um, and like these people were like handing me cards, like, Hey, you know, can you come to DJ my thing? And I'm like, I, you know, I DJ as a treat, you know, it's not like I do it as a profession. It's like, it's, it's, it, it's my spirituality. It's my meditation. 
you know, and, um, and I'm quite happy with, with what I've been able to put together in, in a body of work as a career. And I'm quite appreciative and quite humbled, to be honest with you, that uh, people even listening in this room or, or even uh, listening to some of the things I say. I'm not thirsty for likes. I'm not thirsty for followers. I, I, I live life with a, a deep curiosity. Um, and I would say probably that's a defining hallmark of, of who I am. James, you have been a blast to talk to. From your humble beginnings in music to um, the experiences that you said you've learned through death, um, you know, teaching you patience and acceptance. So with that, we've had the amazing James Andrews in the room. It has been an absolute blast, everybody. Please come back next week for episode two of IWC's Weekly Conversations, also known as Creator's Time. And James... Thanks once again. We look forward to meeting you in the metaverse all over again. Thank you. And everybody have a good night. Thank you. Thank you.